standard issue for all women. Hello, Jen here to tell you about this episode of The Sunday Chops. Back in May, I was lucky enough to catch up with journalist, best-selling author and mental health campaigner Bryony Gordon to chat about her new book, Glorious Rock Bottom, which is about her struggle and subsequent recovery from drug and alcohol addiction. It's a surprisingly readable book, considering the serious subject matter, so I definitely recommend it. And for now, I hope you very much enjoy this interview as much as I enjoyed chatting to Bryony. I'm joined via Zoom by journalist, best-selling author and mental health campaigner, Bryony Gordon. Hello, Bryony. Hello, Jen. How are you? I'm all right. It's quite hot today. It's quite hot. It and is you're quite hot. seven weeks pregnant. Yes, it's very warm. I'm slowly melting. Possibly you are as well. You are here to talk to me about your brand new book, Glorious Rock Bottom. Do you want to tell it's, us what it's about? Well, it's basically about getting sober and realizing that I am an alcoholic. I'm nearly three years sober. I wrote my second book called Mad Girl. It was all about my OCD. And I guess it kind of, it kind of led me into this unexpected world of mental health campaigning. And the more I sort of immersed myself in that world, and the more I realized that my drinking was, <laughs> was a really shit coping mechanism for my obsessive compulsive disorder, which had been pretty torturous since the age of about 12. I got sober. My sobriety date is August the 27th, 2017. And I think if you looked at 2017, for me as a year in black and white, it would look like it was a pretty successful one. So I had done that, uh, the interview with Prince Harry about his mental health and my podcast, Mad World. I'd run the London Marathon for his chari- mental health charity Heads Together and raised £40,000. On the outside, everything looked pretty good. But on the inside, I was in the very final throes of my alcoholism and I took on the marathon kind of thinking this will stop my drinking this will stop my drinking and I was obviously running the marathon (laughs) but actually it didn't and I if anything it sort of increased and it was like I don't know like I it's like I knew the game was up I say in the book I just thought how can I be an alcoholic alcoholics are old men sitting on park benches with tins of special brew Mm. yeah and I was like I'm not like that yeah I didn't drink during the day I didn't even drink every day I drank I mean I drank every other day and I thought I had my drinking under control but I'd got to the point where I was like I don't drink spirits I don't drink wine anymore because if I drank wine I would just get very very drunk very quickly so I'd sort of I thought I had it under control because I was you know I drink session ale and because I could just keep on going on it. You basically found um, ways to enable yourself. Yeah, and I realised that, you know, there was a point where I was like, no, I, I, I do not have my drinking under control. I am entirely controlled by drinking. So even though I wasn't drinking every day or during the day, I was basically thinking about alcohol all the time. Mm. So my entire life was really framed around when can I drink? In my 20s, and I'd written about this, I had a really big problem with cocaine, right? And cocaine, I realise now, is like, you know, I think there's statistics that show that the UK is one of the, you know, the, the great cocaine users of of Europe. And I think that's because we do have a boozy culture and yeah. cocaine goes hand in hand with booze. And I realised it wasn't actually cocaine I loved. It was, it was the fact that it enabled me to drink for longer. Yeah. So it sort of sobered me up. But the cocaine took me to very dark places. It had started to creep back in 
not to the level it was at during my 20s, but it was definitely not what you would expect the mother of a four-year-old to be perhaps doing. And, you know, in a way, I'm really grateful to the cocaine. I always say that if it wasn't for that, like how long, how much longer would I have been out there in that sort of Groundhog Day existence of alcoholism, where every morning I would wake up and be like, oh, I can't believe I've done it again. I'm not ever going to do it again. I'm never going to do it again. I'm never going to do it again. Four o'clock, let's do it again. And cocaine took me to such seedy, dark mm. places that it was unavoidable. It was unavoidable that this was a pro- that the problem with it. You know, in my last days of drinking and using, I, I found myself in some really dodgy situations. I go into that in the book and it's it's really difficult for me to talk about now, but I think it's really important I do talk about mm. it because the moment that I... <sighs> surrendered and stopped trying to prove that I wasn't an alcoholic and an addict and the moment I started to accept that I was it was like the relief you talk about the book almost as if you're sort of living a double life really because Mm. as you say you've written this best-selling book about your mental health and you write in the book that you felt like a fraud I wondered why do you think you didn't see the alcoholism as a manifestation of your mental health problems for such a long time? I think that, A, I didn't want to. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, denial is a very kind of, you know, a, a common symptom of alcoholism. But also, I do feel especially in the UK, it's such a normal part of our lives, alcohol. I was out yesterday on my local common and, um, we're recording this in lockdown just in case this comes out when we're no longer in lockdown. And the thing that I could see that people were most excited about was getting together and drinking booze again. And, you know, I remember as a kid, and my parents aren't alcoholics, right? But I remember always anew from very early on that the thing you did at the end of a stressful day was crack open a bottle of wine or whatever. And and I think that that's... um, it's such a normalised part of our culture, you know. And so I think sometimes it can be, it's just, it's sort of shameful, you know, to admit that you can't handle it in a way that other people can. It makes you feel like, and well, I can only speak for myself, but it made me feel like a bit of a freak. And I, I was desperate to prove I wasn't an alcoholic. I would do those questionnaires online, you know. And I remember when I went into um, treatment, I remember there were like 17 questions that the counsellor asked me before they would admit me to check if I fit the criteria. And I answered yes to all of them, apart from one, which was that, do you wake up in the morning and drink alcohol? And I was like, God, no. And I remember the counsellor saying to me, well, not yet. Mm. Not yet. And it's like a very progressive illness. And so, uh, you know, I would sort of check off the fact that I didn't wake up and drink alcohol. You know, I mean, forget the fact that sometimes I was still awake (laughs) in the morning and drinking it. So I don't know. It's it's so difficult. And it's such a feels like such a shameful thing to admit to. I'm not ashamed of it now. I'm really quite proud of it, of what I've managed to do. You know, I also think it speaks volumes about the lack of education about mental health that we have had in this country until very relatively recently. So I really do feel that, like, as I've explored the world of campaigning, I've learned more and more and more and more and more and more about the mental health systems we have in place or or the lack of mental health systems we have in place. And so... For me, the thing about alcoholism and addiction is they're sort of double whammy mental illnesses, and they are mental illnesses. And they're often mental illnesses that have developed as coping mechanisms for underlying ones, right? Mm. And so 
it's really hard. The original one becomes a sort of like my OCD. I was so obsessed with dealing with my OCD. To me, the alcohol was what helped me to get through the OCD. And I, I had literally, my OCD was my problem. It wasn't my drinking. It wasn't my drinking. And I had obsessive compulsive disorder long before I ever picked up a drink. But my OCD, and it can, it can come back and I've had it quite badly recently, but I have the tools now to deal with it. So it's a completely different beast because I stopped drinking. I mean, you talk about it kind of like, you know, it's so part of the culture. Drinking in this country is a lot of us drink to excess. I definitely would include myself in that bracket. Not at the moment, I'd like to add, because obviously I'm <laughs> so, just to be clear on that. But aspects of the book definitely made me feel quite seen, as they say. And another thing that I think that I have done in the past is drink to excess to justify subsequent bad behaviour. Yeah, absolutely. That I wanted to enact, but would not have felt able to do so unless I was like so drunk I had to do it, if you see what I mean. So do you think that there are a lot of people out there who have misconceptions about what alcoholism actually is? And are there any sort of warning signs that you could maybe see in yourself or other people around you? Yeah, I do. I absolutely think there is. I mean, look, I'm not I'm not saying in this book that everyone who drinks alcohol absolutely not the case but I do think it's a lot more common than we than we think I guess the 12 step qualification for having a problem is is so it's not one I want to take any kind of credit for is that you are powerless over the the substance in question and and it and that powerlessness has made your life unmanageable if you can't quite function and do the things that you should be doing because of your alcohol use, it might be a good idea to, to look towards that 12-step fellowships or any other sober community that, you know, there's so many of them popping up now. Lots of people have a real problem with the word alcoholic. They do. And I think the problem is our definition of an alcoholic, you know, rather than the word. And you have lots of people that start to get sober and they're not comfortable with saying it. And, and you know, and it's like, in the end, and I wasn't either. No, no one grows up thinking, when I'm older, I want to be sitting in a dusty church basement with rubbish tea saying, my name's Brianium and I, I'm an alcoholic, right? No one wants that. But at the end of the day, it's just a word. My question to you is, do you want to die on a hill over a word or do you want to get back? and do you want your life to become manageable again and um what i will say is that alcoholism is not the end it's not the end Uh, three years ago i was in absolute turmoil i was at the end of my drinking and um i i could not imagine a life without alcohol and now i cannot imagine a life with it and if i can do it anyone can but you need the tools in place and you need the support systems and it's nothing to be ashamed of. It's absolutely nothing to be ashamed of. It's an illness, it's an allergy, it's whatever you want to call it, but you deserve better than drinking yourself into a stupor so that you feel able to do things like, oh, I did that as well, Jen, do you know what I mean? And I, but it's interesting that some of the things I would do, I would get as a result of my drinking that I thought I wanted to do and I needed a bit of Dutch courage. It's really interesting that I now in my stone cold sobriety, I have literally no desire to do. (laughs) I think a lot of us believe this sort of rather foolish notion that who we are comes out when we drink alcohol. And that's not true. It's just not true, actually. The other thing I think is really important to remember is that alcohol is a depressant. It's a depressant that masquerades remarkably well 
as a relaxant. It would win Oscars if it was an actor. And I think it's just important to bear in mind that there are other ways of living. It doesn't, it doesn't have to look like that. Hello there, listener. Jen here to ask you a little favour, if I may. If you're not doing so already, you can follow us on all of the social medias. Well, not all of them because we're old and we don't know what all of them do. But on Twitter, we are at Standard Issue UK. On Facebook, we are Standard Issue Magazine. And on Instagram, where it would be particularly helpful if you would follow us, we are at Standard Issue Podcast. Also on Twitter, you will find me at InspiraGen, Mickey at Mixta Noonan and Hannah at That Dunleavy. Ah, go on, give us a follow. So reading the book aspects of it are quite shocking there is in particular one incident that is quite shocking in the book you write about it and and when you sort of alluded to it just now when you mentioned it you still kind of refer to it as if like you did a bad thing whereas obviously other people have told you perhaps you were not really responsible for that perhaps the person involved was Mm. responsible for it it's quite shocking and, uh, you know, bravo for that because I think that women are judged more harshly than men and mothers are judged even more harshly for not being, you know, like, perfect. How nervous did you feel about putting all of this out there? Because it is a very, very candid book. Obviously very. That particular incident is one that has... I didn't put it in lightly. Yeah. I, I put it in yeah, because I, I needed to. I've ended up in a situation whereby I kind of realised a man was doing something to me that I would rather he didn't, but I didn't stop him because he'd been giving me cocaine all evening and I felt like maybe, I, you know, I'd led him on. Da, 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 da. Basically, he assaulted you. Yeah, but I still have a problem with calling yeah. it an assault. I think at the bottom of it is that every time I picked up a drink, I was basically assaulting myself because I almost always knew what would happen. It was an act of self-sabotage. It was incredibly rare that I didn't end up in a situation where I blacked out and couldn't remember. And the point of putting that in is to say to other women, like, it's, this this stuff does happen and let's let's, like pull off the shame of it I don't blame myself but I also have to accept that it, it was a real rock bottom for me because regardless of whether it was an assault or not it was something that I would not have done that, and would not have happened had I not picked up a drink right so I knew that every time and by the way that was not it was not the first time that I had you know like with drugs and alcohol things often do get very seedy very quickly. Um, And it's not particular (laughs) to any one person. It's where, it's where people go when they, you know, they get into cocaine. And regardless of what happens, every time I picked up a drink, I put myself at risk of transgressing some sort of moral code that I totally didn't want to do when I was stone cold sober. And it was that like, why do I keep doing this? I didn't put it in there as a sort of like the rights or wrongs of, you know. It's it was not a hashtag me too moment. No, yeah. it wasn't. Yeah. It was like, it, it, for me, it was a hashtag. Why the fuck do you keep doing this to yourself? Putting yourself in these situations, Bryony. Do you know what I mean? Why do you not think that you're precious enough to look after? Why? I think that's interesting because I think a lot of this, I mean, you've again, you've talked about it 
in the book and in this interview about shame do you think like a lot of this is kind of about I, I guess not valuing yourself not sort of wanting better for yourself and does does that become a sort of perpetual cycle like the more you do it the worse you feel the the less you feel like you're worth saving yeah 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 it's like a shame sandwich I mean I remember Jen I used to like sometimes I would drink because I knew that I would replace the worry I had currently with a different one and that is absolute fucking madness but it was like a KFC tower burger of shame it just got like a gen it just got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and yeah and you know and the and the, and the more I did it the less I thought of myself and you know it's interesting that we talk about rock bottoms a lot and obviously that moment was a rock bottom but it, it wasn't like actually looking back over my drinking and drugging career it, it probably wasn't any worse than some other things that had happened I think the point was I got to that stage where it was at the rock bottom of my self-esteem mm. right like I was hollowed out by self-loathing and I knew that if I continued I was gonna die I was either gonna die by choosing to die and that was a place that I had gone to quite frequently in my head after benders, or I was going to die out of it, falling over something, choking on my own vomit. Worse almost of all of those options was that I was just going to die by living. Like I was going to carry on living in this groundhog day of misery. You know, the truth is that people with decent self-esteem, they, they don't tend to make a habit <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> drinking themselves into stupors they don't need it you yeah. know and you know I've realized that like you are the most precious thing and I think especially as women and it's not it's not it's not obviously exclusive to women but I do think that we we spend our lives working out how we can be different how we can be better how we can you know l reach this sort of like perfect image of the woman that we were all brought up looking at on billboards and magazines and on telly and whatnot and you know people with alcoholism tend to talk a lot about that feeling of being less than and alcohol help them to stop feeling less than and so you know, I think it's if you feel OK with yourself, you're not going to make those decisions that put you at risk. That doesn't make what happens to you when you are at risk. OK, I'm not saying that I'm not getting into, you know, that sort of territory where it's like, well, if you hadn't got a drug, you know, that wouldn't yeah, happen. Yeah. That doesn't make it OK. What I'm saying is, is that I guess it's like if you know that a place you go to when you pick up a drink is blackout and that you are functioning but you don't know what you're doing, if you care about yourself and your well-being, you're probably not going to put yourself into that situation again. But if you don't care about yourself and if you just all you care about is like numbing the feel, you think you're only worth, all you're worth is the numbness, right, and the numbing, then you will. And, uh, and so that's what I'm trying to get at. It's quite interesting because I think I've read in various places they say that apparently the reason George Best started boozing was because he was horribly shy and he'd get taken to these parties with all these, you know, like supermodels and, and rich people and whatever and he just didn't really know what to do with himself and he only felt comfortable with a drink in his hand because it was just a world away from from anything he'd ever known. No one's immune to it, you know? And I do think it's really interesting because I think that I really thought I was like the gregarious party girl, the fun girl. And 
got sober and I'm like oh god I'm really not like I don't I really don't want to be out after 6 p.m at night I really want to be like hunkering down at home like this whole lockdown all I have thought about is like oh when can I be in the countryside and or by the beach or building sandcart you know like stuff that I would was kind of like complete no Bryony what are you talking about and I, I don't need alcohol to be me I am me in whatever way that happens to be and I you know I think it's that thing of accepting it's and I've accepted it is okay that I actually do feel quite anxious when I'm thrown into large social gathering and that's a perfectly normal response and I don't need to throw alcohol on it I just need to sort of like bite my tongue and get through it there's a great book I read at the beginning of my sobriety called Nothing Good Can Come From This by Christy Coulter and it's all about her alcoholism and she writes this thing where she talks about like having to go out when you're you know when you're trying to get sober and all of that and she's like you don't have to want (laughs) to go to this place you just have to go you just have to do it you just have to get through it and come out the other side and you know and I think that's the that's what I very much tell myself and then you know if I have to do that a couple of times a year for work that's fine so it does you know I, I think it's all about accepting ourselves for who we are and not trying to sort of change ourselves if you're shy. In the book, you give yourself a really, really hard time. And mm-hmm. for most of it, I, I just wanted to give you a hug, to be honest. Like, you you were obviously really, really going through it. As you say, you went to rehab as well and, and you were a bit, like, not really down for the whole 12 steps AA sort of thing beforehand no. because struck you as as it does me as someone who's not been through it like I don't know a bit gaudy for want of better words could you just tell us just a little bit about what your expectation of AA was versus the reality of it and if people listening to this are sort of thinking okay some of that resonates with me a little bit maybe I should think about this what can people do to help themselves and what can we do as individuals to help other people I'm like everyone who gets sober. I don't want to go to AA. I was like, I don't want to go to AA. And I'm not really, you know, there's traditions involved in AA, which makes it sound like some cult. And it's absolutely not where you're not really supposed to talk about going to AA. But I I, I can say I go to AA, just not who goes. That is the thing that keeps me sober. Right. And I am not a God botherer and never have been. And um, I, but I like everyone goes in and goes, what is this? Why are they using words like God and love? And again, my response to that is the just words. Do you want to get better or do you not? You know, and I think the thing about those, about these 12 step fellowships is you go in and you do not understand why everyone is being so kind to you. (laughs) And, and everyone is like, is being accepting of you completely unconditionally right you just don't understand it because it's it tends to not be something that you've ever experienced outside in the real world so it does feel weird but I would just say stick with it it's I can only speak for me it's been the most wonderful support it blows my mind and I I sort of I feel very lucky to have it. I feel very lucky. It actually makes me feel lucky that I'm an alcoholic because I have these tools now at my disposal. And of course, there are 12-step fellowships for almost everything, for food, for drugs, for sex, for, you know, so for gambling, debtors. You know, I, I just think it's great that something exists, that it doesn't want to take anything from you. It just wants to give you, it just wants to help. There are very few organisations in the world like that. Um, so... 
you know, give it a go. Yeah, if you don't like it, fine, but don't like just write it off because of misconceptions that you might have. Like, go and give it a go, and don't just go to one. Go go to a few. You know, really give it a give it three months and see. Right? Mm. Like, what's the worst thing that happens? But also, there are so many sober communities out there now, and so many people talking about sobriety and. You know, Instagram has a huge sober community. If you just kind of look up hashtag sober or, you know, I think the first step is admitting to someone that you have a problem and asking for some sort of help. What I would say to anyone listening who who needs, who thinks they have a problem is there's so many resources online. There are so many resources online. So just go and look at them and remember that you are worth it. You are absolutely worth it. And I promise you that the relief you will feel when you realize you are not alone and that what you have gone through is something a million other people have gone through. It's like shrugging off a suit of armor from Game of Thrones, knowing that you are not the only one. Oh my God. It's you know, it can bring me to tears now. You know, I lived in such shame, such shame. And I remember when I went into treatment, a counsellor saying to me, shame dies when you expose it to the light. And I was like, whoa. And it's true, it does. And um, I can still feel shame trying to get at me. And I sort of stop it and look at it and ask myself what it really is. You know, there is a way, there is a way out of it. Hmm. But it's usually through it. And the other thing I will say is that I was desperate to find the way that would require the least effort. You know, like I remember asking a psychiatrist if I could go on this drug called Antabuse, which basically makes you sick if you drink alcohol. And, you know, I was anything, anything, anything that did not involve having to do proper work on myself. And, you know, I'm afraid to tell you that I thought what I discovered was that there is no easy way. Do you know what I mean? There is no easy way out of it, but there is a way out of it and you know you just keep going so i remember someone saying to me if you're going through hell you keep going (laughs) till you get out the other side and you will you know you will you keep going bryony your book glorious rock bottom is published by headline on august the 6th and presumably you'll be doing lots of things chatting to various people hopefully there'll be some events who knows we're recording this in may (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think we've got some sort of like online virtual events planned, but I guess I tend to sort of publicise everything via my Instagram, which is at Bryony Gordon. You know, I think I'll I think I'll probably have done an audio book by then, but it's you know it's if I'm if I'm allowed out of the house. (laughs) Maybe you are. Maybe you just need to look at the guidance a bit more carefully. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Bryony, it's a really really great book. Thank you for sharing your experience with us all and uh, and thanks for chatting to me. Thanks, Jen. Standard Issue for All Women.